Amen. Well, get your Bibles open as you've got your hands moving to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 16. Don't forget this Sunday or Saturday we've got a big day. We've got a church-wide outreach at noon. And it looks like uh, even though it's freezing today, and we know it can change from one minute to the next, it's supposed to be like 55 Saturday, so we should be good. should be good weather. And then, man, we've got a men's discipleship um, Saturday morning at 10. We usually do 10.30. We're going to do 10 so we can get over here to the church by noon and do the outreach. So um, all the men, we're going to meet at Rudy's at 10 o'clock. And then we'll be over here with everybody. We've announced it a couple weeks now. Everybody bring your shirts and come up here at noon. And we're going to try to do some door-to-door outreach. Amen. We've got to keep on doing what we're called to do, which is go out of these doors and tell people about Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to you tonight about what God is looking for. Have you ever wondered what God is looking for in us? Amen. The Bible says in Job that his eyes are going to and forth, to and fro in the earth looking. And and we know that God has eyes. We're made in his image tonight. And he's always looking for people who are willing to serve him and live for him. And I want to be one of those people. But I want to, I want to talk about tonight about what God is looking for in us. Many times you've ever wondered and questioned, God, what do I need to do? What do I need to have? How do I need to act and talk and walk? And what is it that you're looking for to be pleased? How many want to please God tonight? Be God pleasers. I do, and I know you do. And so I want to show you some things tonight as you're in the book of 1 Samuel 16. Just stay there. But the book of 1 Samuel 9 says, verse 2, that Saul had a... uh, that he had a son named Saul, the Bible says, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites and a head taller than any of the others. How many have ever stood in the mirror and wished you were taller or shorter? Amen? Or you wish you were skinnier or fatter? <laughs> or you wish you were uglier? Or more handsome or pretty. Amen? Yeah. We've all looked in the mirror and wished there was something. You might think, hey, I look pretty good. But there's something that you wish you, would, you could change. You, maybe your nose, your eyes, whatever. Am I telling the truth tonight? There's all of us could look in the mirror and say there's something I would probably do different or change. And it made me begin to think uh, about an old, how many remember old Don Knotts, the comedian? He's old. The older people definitely will. And uh, he, he said one time in one of his movies, what I need is a body transplant. <laughs> he was a tiny little guy. And he said, I need a body transplant. Some of us might have felt that way. And I, I know for myself, I'm always, when I'm, whenever I'm around skinny people, and they ha- say those sad words that I can't gain weight, I just feel so bad for them. And I wish that I could just grab some of mine and just give it to them, amen, so that they wouldn't have that problem anymore. And I'm sure that they wish they could get some of it. But what I'm talking about is we are people who look on the outside a lot. And uh, our culture is definitely that way. So it made me begin to think as we're talking about what God looks for, I began to think of some cultural things tonight and or today and this week, and I start thinking about in, in different parts of the of the world in cultures. Uh, there are a lot of things that people do 
to look di a different way or, or they think is neat or cool. How many know that probably a lot of people outside of the United States look at us and think we're weird? And we look at other countries and see the things they do and we think they're weird and vice versa and all around. Well, in Africa, if you didn't know it, a beautiful woman is one whose lower lip has been stretched so far out that she can put a 12-inch round disc in it. You ever seen those pictures? Isn't that gorgeous and beautiful? Right? But that in their culture, that is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's stretched and stretched, and they start when they're just kids so that eventually they can have that big 12-inch plate in their lips. And that would be very attractive to some guy. Amen. Who's looking for a good, nice-looking plate on the lip of his woman. Or just a plate, you know. Uh, in the Indians, the Mayan Indians... And if you uh, ever watch Duck Dynasty, I'm not talking about the Mayan Indians in Hawaii. I'm talking about the Mayan Indians in Mexico, amen? They believed that it was beautiful finding a, to have a, a long, narrow, elongated, elongated head. That was really cool for them. So when the baby was born, while it was still small, and the skull was still soft, they would actually tie a board on each side of their head, and then it slowly, as they got older, they would tighten it more and more together and so that their tension would cause their head to grow longer and skinnier. And that's just a cool thing in that, that culture. How many have ever seen pictures of the Asian culture where they have the long necks? You ever seen those things where the woman's got this really, really long neck? And so they, at two years old, start to put a ring around their neck and then every year they add and they add and they add and they get up to where there's 20 rings in their neck. And for some reason, a woman who looks like a flamingo is pretty. Amen. And that's royalty. And I guess what they say is it actually doesn't even really stretch their neck. It's a, it's a visible, but it does push their clavicle down and kind of slowly breaks it to where it looks like their neck is longer. Those are some weird things, right? Well, every culture has these things, and there's something about the exterior that when we look at other people, we check them out. We see things about them. We see things they have. Our culture could have a lot, but I was thinking about uh, the beauty that we look for in the United States sometimes. And back in the, maybe in the last century, uh, it was a very pretty thing for a woman to have a little meat on her bones. And now it's the exact opposite. There's no meat on the bones. If you look at the models, they're just sticks. And I'm not going to give my opinion on which one I like, except I do like the first one more than the second one. And maybe somewhere in between. Amen? So there was this time back in the day, I'm going to get to the message, don't worry, I'm just getting us to think a little bit here. How many remember back in the day, or have heard back in the day, they used to wear really long dresses. They didn't wear skirts, women. They didn't wear shorts, and they wore long dresses. And so, you know, back in the day, I was watching this movie, actually with my brother-in-law, and this old, older guy from that time was sitting in the car with a young man, and they were just talking, and this lady walks by, and she did not have a lot of clothes on. She had clothes on, but they were tight, and there wasn't much on. And so the guy, younger guy, was watching the older guy, check her out and he just automatically assumed that he was just checking out her body and her curves and all that and he was checking out her ankles her beautiful ankles because back in the day that was sexy to show off your ankles 
because that's all you could see. And then finally we get into what's really big today, especially in our culture, cosmetic surgery. I'm not going to ask you if you know someone who's had cosmetic surgery. Those people are really strange looking. And I'm not talking about someone who got in an accident and needed to fix their face, but people who think they're not pretty or are pretty and need to be prettier. And how many would agree with me that as they do more surgeries, they get less pretty every single time? And their nose begins to look weird and their face and all those things and it eventually probably will fall apart amen how many know these all these things i just mentioned are not what god is looking for amen those are not what god is looking for so you might think okay if he's not looking on the looks where is he looking for talent maybe he's looking for um, ability and you can go on and on and on of all these things god might be looking for let's look at first samuel 16 tonight and let's look at what god is looking for Verse 1, say amen if you're there. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? If you don't know the story, Saul is king, but Saul is rebellious, disobedient, not doing what he's supposed to do, and so God is going to take him out of his throne and put somebody else over Israel. So he says, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn, verse 1, with oil, and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears that he will kill me? But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you should do. And you shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town went to Bethlehem. And the elders, sorry, the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was, watch this, verse 6, that when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Now stop just for a second. How many know, what we're seeing here is David is messed up big time. God needs a new king. Thank you. Glad to hear you're listening. Saul has messed up big time and God needs a new king. And he's going to anoint somebody. How many want to be that chosen, anointed one of God tonight? Now, we know he's not just looking for one, but I want to be one of the people that God uses. And so he's looking, and so we're going to see here in a second that he's gone, he's obeyed, he's going to anoint somebody. God's going to show him who it is. God's going to show him who he's looking for out of these sons. And he's going to choose one. And so Samuel walks in to the place and these guys start walking and these sons walk in and he does what we would do in the world and don't act too super spiritual, amen, and say you wouldn't or you don't. They walk in and he, he just automatically goes, that's got to be the one right there. Right? Have you ever thought that way? I mean, you, you just, how many know we stereotype a lot? Let's all be honest. Okay? I know, I know in basketball I do that a lot. <laughs> If I'm going to play basketball, you walk in the gym, there's certain people you look at, you look at height, you look at tone, you look at all the, you look at how they dribble and all this, and most of the time you can tell, by the way, what you see, you get what you get. 
But sometimes, you know, you see someone who doesn't look like they really know how to play. And they get out there and just put it on people. So have you ever done that before? Have you ever heard about something and then got somewhere and go, oh, that must be the one. That's, that's the person they're talking about right there. Because we look at a height or a, a look or something. Amen? How many know we have preconceived ideas when we are doing something? So Samuel was no different. Samuel was getting into the flesh here. He's thinking, man, I, I'm, I'm going to anoint a king here, and God's going to show me who it is, but I want to play, play games here a little bit, and I want to kind of try to guess who it is, and that's got to be him. How many know that's why the Jewish people miss Jesus? They miss Jesus because they were looking for some amazing king riding in on a chariot, Writing it and just and just uh, just amazing. I have an entourage and all this stuff, thinking he was going to be born to some rich family, and he was born in a manger, messed everything up. So you're going to see where I'm going with this. So he says, verse six, for those that are following along, he says he walks in. He goes, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said, this key verse, verse seven, do not look at his appearance. Or his physical stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Underline that in your Bible please. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. One of the best verses in the Bible right there. If you in any way were that person I was talking about in the beginning that would change something in the mirror, and that's all of us, if you would change something, not only about how you look, but maybe who you are, just where you were born, something, this is a verse that should bring some joy and happiness to every single one of us that would ever feel inadequate or feel like we wish we were born somewhere else or feel like we'd have been a little taller or a little shorter, a little skinnier or a little bigger. Whatever it is you throw in there, thank God none of that has anything to do with serving the Lord. How many are thankful for that tonight? Amen. Absolutely nothing with the exterior of who we are. Everything to do with what's inside. So verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. Now here's what's funny. God just told him what he was looking for, but he's still going to go through the process. So he's still thinking, well, this is still how I think it is. Abinadab comes by and he says, nope. This is not the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 9, Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, no, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. And so Jesse, verse 10, made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. The Lord has not chosen. So the father, how many know as parents... That father's saying, hey, if, I, if, I, if one of my sons becomes king, I'm, I'm retiring. I'm done. I don't have to do anything ever again. So I'm going to bring in my very best. I'm going to bring in my very tallest. I'm going to bring in my very handsomest. And he probably sat there as a father and looked at his sons and said, okay, you're going in first. You're going in second. You're going in third. And he's sending them in like this in his mind, preconceived what this man is going to look for. Don't we all do that? Aren't we all like that? And we have to admit it. We are. That's part of our human nature. So he says, no, none of these are going to be it. Verse 11. 
Samuel says to Jesse, are these all the young men? Are they all here? And he says, well, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, send him in and bring him in, for we will not sit down till, till he comes here. So he sent, verse 12, and brought him in. He was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. Now that doesn't mean, that's why something's going on here, but there's doesn't mean God can't use good looking people. He was ruddy. <laughs> that was a good place for everybody to say amen. And the Lord, you missed it. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the, watch this. The spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now I want to get into a few things here this tonight. It's a good Wednesday night service, Wednesday night message. Some, of peop, some people have asked me before, what is the anointing of God? We just saw what the anointing of God is. It's when God says, that my hand is going to be on the, upon that person. And he, he puts his favor on that person. And we see here that oil was represented as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And Samuel anointed David. And when Samuel anointed David, look what it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And from that day forward, it was on him. So here we see Samuel choosing David. But Samuel did not choose David because Samuel wanted to choose David. Samuel would have chose somebody else. But I want to show you a few things here tonight. You say, what is God looking for in my life for me to be a servant of God? You might say, I want to serve God. Or you might say, I want to serve God more. Or I want to have the favor of God. Or if you have the favor, I want to have more of the favor of God. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank and you say, I, I want it. And you should be here tonight not satisfied completely with what God has done in your life. You should be happily discontent. You should be at a place where you say, Lord, I'm thankful that you used me. I'm thankful for my salvation, but I really want to do something powerful for you. And I want to put myself in a position that you could use me. That you could use my life to touch the life of somebody else. And I'm going to show you tonight just a few things in the scriptures for just a few minutes of what God is looking for. We already talked about what God's not looking for. And go, go, actually stay there. I'm not even going to ask you to look at the next verse, but you can write them down for time. But Micah 6, 8, I'm going to read this in the Old Testament. says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And he says these three things. But to be just, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God says in Micah. He says, what does the Lord require? To be just, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now quickly, for taking notes, I want you to write down four things that God is looking for. This isn't everything he's looking for, but I believe these are key things in the scriptures, and we see it in this story that God is looking for. If you're ready, number one is action. One of the reasons that David was chosen, and we're looking at this story, that's a fact David was not chosen for his physical appearance. Yes, he was good looking. 
the Bible says. But that's not why God chose him. The main reason God chose him in this story as we see, and, and for in discipleship we've talked about this, some uh, of other, other stories in the Bible of where, why and where God pe- chose people. There's always, you're going to see in the Bible, when God uses somebody, they are being active. They're not sitting around. They're not waiting to be chosen. And you say, Amen. They're not sitting there saying, oh, I hope he chooses me. They're putting themselves into action, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. When you're doing what you're supposed to do, God will elevate you. When you're sitting around, and you're doing nothing, and you're waiting for somebody else to do it, or you think because you're talented, or you have gifts, or you have it all together, or whatever it is that's going through your mind, you think, I'm going to be chosen because of this or that. No, it's because you're active. David wasn't even there. David wasn't even there. There's something about being busy for God and letting God exalt you. It comes into that example of the table in the Bible, the parable that Jesus says, that don't be like the person that when you come into a, a dinner, you go and sit at the front of the table so that you can sit by the important person. The idea is to go and sit at the other end of the table over with the people who don't, nobody wants to sit with. And then when that person comes in and sits down, you might be the person that's sitting on the other end and that person says, hey, why are you sitting way down there? Come down here and sit by me. And because you were humble and you weren't looking for that place, God puts you in that place. The Bible says if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. But if you exalt yourself, he'll humble you. And sad to be the person, you want to be called to the front of the table, not be the person that sits at the front of the table, and when that guy calls the other guys, asks you to get up and leave. Um, I have this place for somebody else. And everybody's sitting there watching you get up. Right? That's not what you want. David was chosen. How do you think those other brothers felt? I don't think some jealousy might have came in. And it really wasn't even their fault because their father set them up for it. But they're at this thing and they probably put on their best cologne and their best clothes. Probably took the longest shower, got all clean, smelled good. They were in good position. They did everything dad said, but they weren't chosen. And they're thinking, this is my night, I'm going to be king. And then David comes in from the sheep. He was not smelling good. He didn't have cologne on probably. He had not taken a, taken a shower. He probably stunk. He was dirty. And they choose him. They say, come here, David. And they anoint him with oil right there. One of the reasons that he was chosen and what God is looking for is active people. Active people. Number two, four things. This is big. Availability. God is looking for us to be available. God can't use you if you're too busy. Amen. You need to be available. Now let me show you something amazing in the Bible right here about David. And I want you to really, really, really think about this for a minute. So David gets anointed as king. He gets brought in from the sheep. He's stinky. He's dirty. And he, always, he, he probably doesn't even know how to handle this. And all of a sudden, Samuel's telling him, hey, guess what? You're the new king. Can you imagine that? It might throw you off guard just a little bit. He gets anointed. You're the king. Now, he knows he's the king. He's been anointed by God. This was not a small thing to be anointed for king in those times. When you had the anointing oil of God placed on you, that was not a man doing that. That was God. And it was a big thing. And so now, how many know it could have been very easy 
to, with that with that feeling upon him and with that authority upon him and with that anointing upon him, it could have been easy for his chest to puff up and for him to begin to walk in a way that he would have a right to walk, which would be kind of, you know, sticking his shoulders up and chest out and thinking, man, I am the man. I am the new king. I'm not going to have to tend to the sheep anymore. Big error, amen, when you start thinking because God elevates you that you don't need to work anymore. Amen. The more God elevates you, the more you need to work. And David continued to work. And I'm not going to take the time to read it, but you can read it later. If you continue to read into that same chapter, Saul, the Bible says, I'm going to read just a part of it right there because you probably still have it open. We ended that, that he was anointed with oil and Samuel arose and went to Ramah and Uh, The anointing starts, and look at the next verse in 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And not only did the Spirit of the, the Lord lift, look what happens. And a distressing Spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now that's not God being mean. That's God distressing him for his disobedience. Okay, and so now David's got the anointing and Saul not only gets the lifting off of him, he's being distressed, he's being bothered by the Spirit of God. Okay, the Bible shows us that even in the New Testament that when you walk away from God, we talked about that Sunday, that you can, the Bible says the demons come back seven times stronger into your life. It's an oppression. Some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet in your life are people who've left Jesus miserable. Saul was miserable. He, le- he lost the anointing of God. He didn't have to lose it. He gave it up because he got into a spirit of rebellion. And so he, he gets lifted. I want to show you something about David here that's amazing. You can read it on later, but what happens is he, he, he gets, someone tells him, hey, there's a guy that plays the harp really good. And guess who that harpist is? David. And so David gets asked to go play the harp for Saul when he's distressed. Now are you thinking what I'm thinking? He's the king now. He's the man. But there was an availability in David's life that he said it doesn't matter what what name I have on me, I still want to be available to serve. And as the king now, anointed as the king, he goes into this place of the place of the man he has taken over and plays the harp for him so that he can feel the Spirit of God. He's serving God through Saul. And a spirit of availability. When you stop being available, guess what? Let me give you some news. When you stop being available to God, he'll stop using you. If you don't make yourself available, he cannot use you. God does not force anybody to serve him. God does not force anybody to do anything for him. You can never get to a place where you say, well, I've done it. I've done enough. I'm going to rest. There's no resting in the kingdom of God. We're going to rest when we get to heaven. Can you say amen? amen? So availability. Then this leads into the next one, number three, which is a spirit of accountability. You know what that means? In other words, accountability, it means that you can be counted on to be responsible. 
We've been talking about that too. We talked about being responsible for our righteousness. David was accountable. They knew, God knew ahead of time. Now, some of you might go ahead in your minds and you might think, oh, well, David messed up. And God knew he was going to mess up. Why did God choose David if he knew he was going to mess up? How many, how many have gone ahead of the story and remember that David committed adultery and David killed somebody, had somebody killed after he committed adultery? And he did all these horrible things. But how many are thankful tonight that God can still use somebody even when they mess up? If they'll repent and give their lives back to the Lord. Thank God for that. God knew that, see, here's the difference, church. Saul, God knew Saul was going to mess up. And he did. But what didn't Saul do? He didn't repent. He spent the rest of his life after he lost his king's power he spent the rest of his life trying to kill David in a spirit of jealousy so David we see these these characteristics in David where he's saying hey I'm going to stay accountable I'm going to stay available and I'm going to stay active for the Lord but the biggest key is number four it's none of them are more important than the others but it, it really starts with this and number four is he had a pure heart that's the key if you were to ask me tonight, what is the key? What is the key to serving God? What is the key to making it to heaven? That would be my answer. Keep your heart pure. Keep it pure. Guard it. Guard it with your life. Amen? Along the way, as David goes, begin to mess up, and I'm going to give you just a couple scriptures to close out tonight. In Psalms 51, if you want to look at it, as David goes on in his life and messes up later, he, he makes some huge mistakes. And again, it's just to show us that you can be forgiven, thank God. He makes some huge mistakes. But as he makes those mistakes, he, he keeps his heart pure. And we're going to read 51.17 in just a second, but many of you know Psalms 51.10. And it says, Create in me, Lord, a new, uh, O God, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast your spirit or your presence away from me, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. If you haven't ever read Psalms 51, read Psalms 51. This is David after his mourning of losing his baby, of his child. And he fasted, and he fasted, and he fasted that God would save that child. And God chose not to save that child. And he got up and he said, Lord, don't let me be bitter about this. He had to fight off the spirit that Saul had on him. Of jealousy and of anger and of bitterness. And he said, God, I don't want to be like that. And God allowed or helped David. And David allowed God to help him keep his heart pure. And he kept it pure. And Psalms 51, 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. If you've ever felt broken, guess what? You're in good place. Is God breaking me? Yes. Do you want God to break you? Yes. Is it painful? Yes. Is it good? Yes. Is it healthy? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. Amen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And it says a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, he says, you will not despise. Amen. 
Here's another one. This is one of my favorite verses. Psalm 66. I have it on my desk. Right in front of me. And I look at it all the time. Look at it, Psalm 66, if you would. Verse 1 and 2. Heaven is my throne. This is God. Heaven is my throne. And earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? You ever Have you ever stopped and thought, how in the world can I really be loved by God? How can I really get in the same universe as him? He says, and he says kind of sarcastically, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you'll build for me? How are you going to do that? Amen? Psalm, sorry, did I say Psalms? What did I say? Oh, I see people. What? See why it's good to bring your Bible? Isaiah 66. Amen. That's what I like. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you will build me? And where is my place of rest? He says, for all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But he says this, but on this one will I look. Talking tonight about what is God looking for? He says, on this one will I look. On him who is poor, not, fi- not financially, and of a contrite spirit. And watch this. And who trembles at his word. A contrite spirit, a broken spirit, a spirit that allows to be broken. You know what, church? You can very easily get bitter get mad at God throw your fist up at him and 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 say I don't understand and this isn't fair or you can say God I I believe you're bigger than everything I'm going through and you see more than I see and you understand better than I understand and if you want to break me break me because if you break me you're going to put me back together better than I was before go ahead Take my heart, throw it on the ground, do whatever you want to do to it. And their trust is that God's going to put it back in there better than it was before. Amen? That's the trust of God. And I believe that. And I allow God, and I want to allow God to do that. And I want to put that reminder in front of me that says that so that I know that I can be changed on a daily basis. Amen? So he says, one who's of a poor and contrite spirit and one who trembles at his word. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come tonight. I want to have some time at the altar. And as they come, I want to remind you again tonight, action, action is important. Saturday is a good opportunity to be active and to come and do more than just come to church on Sunday. And you might say, oh, I don't know how to witness, and I don't know how to do this, and I don't know how to do that. Well, you're never going to learn until you try. Amen. You're never going to learn until you try. And there's an opportunity this Saturday to be active for the Lord. Every service, we have opportunities to be active for the Lord in prayer. There's things that we can always be doing, and we need to stay busy. Church, it ain't just at church. Amen. We need to be being a witness everywhere we go. 
If you will ask God in the morning, Lord, use me, God will send people your way. God will open up doors for you to witness. God will open up doors for you to talk about him. People will come and find you. They will search you out if you just say, Lord, use me. Amen? Stay active. Stay active. Stay conscious of it. You might say, man, I've never led anybody to the Lord before. No one's ever come to church that I've invited. You're being active. You're you're handing those Jesus cards out. You're telling people Jesus loves them. You're planting seeds all over the place. You're staying active. Don't try to be God. Do Do your thing and let God be God. But stay active. Stay busy. Stay available. And then be in a place where God says I can, re- I can rely on that person that means accountability I'm reliable, I'm responsible how many want to be ready when God calls on you if you put someone in front of you to talk to him about the Lord he needs to know he can trust you and so you might not be having a lot of opportunities because God says I, I can't trust that person well get in that position to be trusted And no matter what somebody does to you, this is important, no matter what somebody does to you, no matter how many times you get hurt by somebody, don't hold on to that. Let it go. Let it go. You're going to get hurt all the time. Let it go. Don't hold it in. Because you're you're not hurting that person. You're just hurting yourself. Just keep your heart pure. Keep your heart pure. Love the people around you and let God keep your heart pure and sometimes when it's hard ask God for help don't you think David could have got bitter when he started being pursued by Saul all the time he's saying God I didn't sign up for this you want me to be king or do you want me to run from this guy and God said I want you to do both (laughs) my grace is sufficient for you amen how many know tonight that whatever you're dealing with God trusts you with no matter what it is. Amen?